This is a podcast by The Straits Times. This is Asian Insider and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now, love him or hate him, Donald Trump has been a very consequential president of the United States. On the foreign policy front, it was all about two things, America first and peace through strength. He first threatened North Korean leader Kim Jong-un when Chairman Kim threatened the United States and then became the first American president to meet with Kim Jong-un. He changed the geopolitical or at least the diplomatic landscape in the Middle East. He pulled the United States out of the Paris Climate Accord and the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear agreement. Almost all of this was very controversial. Some of it arguably didn't achieve much, but it was consequential. Today, to examine the legacy of the Trump years for Asia, we have two guests on board from Singapore. Kishore Mebubani, former ambassador and now distinguished fellow at the Asia Research Institute at National University of Singapore, and C. Rajamohan, non-resident fellow at the Lowy Institute and a visiting research professor at the Institute of South Asian Studies, also at NUS. And from New York City, we have Dr. Ankit Panda, Stanton Senior Fellow in the Nuclear Policy Program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Gentlemen, greetings from D.C. So nice to have us all together in these very interesting times, just days away from the inauguration of a new president, a few blocks from where I sit, actually. So, Professor Mebobani, perhaps I should give you the floor uh, first. A short question for a very long answer that I hope you can distill. From where you sit in Singapore, what is Donald Trump's legacy? Uh, I think the legacy will be overwhelmingly negative. And I know that conventional wisdom now among many people is that the one right thing that Donald Trump did uh, was to stand up to China. And it is true that he stood up to China, but he did so, as Henry Kissinger told me at a lunch in New York, without having a strategy uh, towards China. And the big question to ask is, after four years of Donald Trump, has China become weaker or has it become stronger? And if you want the data, just one indicator, leading indicator, the size of the retail goods market in China vis-a-vis the United States. In 2009, 10 years ago, China's retail goods market was 1.8 trillion. United States was 4 trillion, more than double that of China's. By 2019, after three years of the trade war, the size of China's retail goods market was 6 trillion, three times the size of China. And United States was smaller at 5.5 trillion. So all the efforts to derail China's economic growth clearly had failed. And vis-a-vis Southeast Asia, I would say the saddest part of it all is that when when the Southeast Asia was very welcoming and wants to see a strong U.S. presence, guess what? Even at the last meeting of the East Asian Summit, all that Donald Trump had to do was to appear virtually, not in person, just appear virtually on the screen to talk to the uh, 10 Southeast Asian leaders, the 10 ASEAN leaders, and he didn't turn up. And seven ASEAN leaders, therefore, didn't turn up for that meeting. And that I would see as a low point in U.S.-ASEAN relations. That's Donald Trump's legacy. Negative legacy. Dr. Panda, how would you put it? What do you see as the legacy of these past four years? How has Donald Trump well, left the United States? In Asia. I think I think I share the general prognosis uh, that the previous speaker indicated. Uh, it is a negative one for the United States in the Asia Pacific region. One observation on the competition with China. Uh, so I think when future historians look back at this era in U.S. foreign policy, they will probably peg 2017 or 2018 as the beginning of whatever we want to call it, a new Cold War, a new period of confrontation between the United States and China. 
But um, not only did the United States falter under the Trump administration on the trade war front, um, but also on security cooperation. I mean, the traditional American emphasis on alliances in Asia, uh, around the region, of course, in uh, Northeast Asia, you have uh, Japan and South Korea, and in Southeast Asia, the Philippines, Thailand, um, and of course, uh, a number of American partnerships that have been on a steady upward trajectory, including with India and Vietnam in recent years. All of these relationships, I think, were undercapitalized uh, over the last four years. Uh, the, the traditional role of these alliances as force multipliers was cast aside in the favor of a very 19th century style Bismarckian approach to foreign policy under Donald Trump that fundamentally broke with uh, really 70 years of precedent since the end of the Second World War and how the United States has thought about this region. Uh, sure, the administration said that it viewed Asia as its primary theater and, and focused on this region. But ultimately, in terms of creating results, I think the administration fell far short from the Korean Peninsula to Southeast Asia, the South China Sea, the Indian Ocean region, the Himalayas. We can just look around the region today to see that really we are no better off than we were four years ago. Okay, Dr. Rajamohan, what has been the impact of the Donald Trump years in South Asia? In the beginning, we saw Donald Trump do some straight talking with Pakistan. Of course, China, he had a good relationship with India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi. They even had two gigantic joint rallies. Is there any lasting outcome? No, I, let me just point, briefly point to three important legacies, I think, uh, of uh, Trump that also apply to South Asia. Uh, one is the the basic question of China and Chinese power, what does it mean for the region? Uh, it was the assumption of it being benign, was it right? Or there are problems with the way China is exercising its newfound power. Uh, Trump might not have the right answer, but I think that question is not going to go away as China becomes big and stronger. The second legacy, I think, is about uh, the, uh, the virtues of globalization. That globalization, of course, did a lot of good for Asia and to many people. But he was asking the question, has it worked equally for American people? Uh, whether it, it certainly worked for Goldman Sachs, but did it work for the American workers? That question has been raised. And with respect to my answer to the question, the Americans are going to continue to debate that question uh, in the coming years to come. And that will have an impact. American domestic politics will have an impact on the global globalization process we've seen. And finally, uh, um, Trump is telling us that American taxpayer is not going to forever fund the security of Asia, that Asia and Europe, in the, for that matter, will have to find answers for that question. Now, coming to South Asia, I would say two things have happened. He has reduced the importance of Pakistan by deciding to walk out of uh, Afghanistan. So that's going to be a big change that's going to unfold. Second, he's put India squarely into the Pacific. And that's why you have the Indo-Pacific. So I think changing the geography uh, also elevates uh, India's position. But of course, uh, we've had problems on the globalization front, on the trade front with Trump. So I would say net for India, at least, uh, it's not been a, a bad four years because uh, the way the overall thing has played out, India has few reasons to complain. But we'll have to deal with the answers uh, to the questions that he has raised. Professor Mavubani, is Donald Trump's legacy principally to change the conversation on China? Was he and has he been an off-ramp, so to speak, for those in the region who are hesitant to bluntly express worries, not about China's rise, which is considered overall a very good thing, but its intent? I mean, there, there is no doubt that there is a lot of concern about China's rise. I mean, frankly, uh, if, if China goes from having 
10% the size of U.S. GNP in PPP terms in 1980 to becoming bigger than the U.S. in 2014, you have a new elephant in the room. Actually, it's more like a tiger in the room. And everybody is concerned about China and everybody is concerned how, about how to manage China. But the question is, how do you do it? And here, the two critical mistakes that uh, Trump has made is, number one, the first thing he did on the first day in his office was to withdraw from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. At the end of the day, the geopolitical contest in East Asia is not about the number of aircraft carriers you have, the number of bases you have. It's about the size of your economy and your economic growth. And here, the East Asian countries bent over backwards to get the United States anchored in East Asia to the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And what does Donald Trump do? He withdraws from the Trans-Pacific Partnership and therefore gives China a free geopolitical gift. And then three years later, guess what? The largest free trade agreement is then signed among the East Asian countries. It includes many of the United States allies, Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Korea, Japan, and, and the ASEAN countries. And who's out? The United States is out. And so at the end of the day, just ask yourself a very simple question. Has American influence in real terms, in economic terms, grown or diminished in four years of Trump? The answer, it has diminished. And then ask yourself, has China's role and influence in economic terms grown? The answer, it has grown. And just look at the trade patterns and that will tell you what has changed under Donald Trump. So Donald Trump basically has weakened America's position in East Asia. Let's go to North Korea, which of course was huge in the headlines huh? because well, actually Singapore figured in the first round of the of the newfound Mohami. What is the scorecard in North Korea? I mean, do you think do you consider it a success or uh, that they actually met at all? That they have a dialogue or they had a dialogue? Or do you consider it a failure given that? You know, North Korea hasn't done much about denuclearization anyway. When Donald Trump chose to meet Kim Jong-un and chose to accept that meeting with Kim Jong-un in March 2018, what the effect that that had in practical terms immediately was to deflate the crisis that had grown to really um, tremendous proportions by the end of 2017 when the United States was contemplating a limited strike on a nuclear-armed North Korea. But I don't credit the two summits that we saw, one in Hanoi, Vietnam in February 2019, and of course, as you said, June 2018 in Singapore. Uh, as historic as they were, they didn't have the effect of stopping a single North Korean centrifuge from continuing to spin or dismantling a single warhead or, or nuclear-armed missile. In fact, uh, just days ago, we saw the North Koreans hold a party congress in which Kim Jong-un outlined an ambitious modernization plan. So really, I think Kim played his cards quite well, uh, right? Every country plays the cards that they're dealt. And for North Korea, this has never been a particularly strong hand. But Donald Trump gave Kim Jong-un an opportunity and he took it. Uh, they had a few summits. And in the meantime, North Korea continued to produce fissile material, nuclear weapons, and today remains very much a nuclear armed state. So I think if we look at the problem that Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump inherited in 2017 from Obama, and now we look at the problem that Joe Biden is about to inherit on the Korean Peninsula, uh, there's no question that Biden is going to have his hands full, primarily as a result of the Trump administration's rather superfluous and 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 um frankly, quite shallow uh, diplomacy with North Korea. Professor Raja Mohan, what would you consider a success in terms of foreign policy on Asia in, from, from uh, you know, the Donald Trump years? No, I mean, you can see the, the, the framing. I don't know if Trump himself was interested in it or not. Uh, the establishment uh, has laid out uh, a strategy on the Indo-Pacific, uh, which differs from the previous uh, 70 years. And uh, that, I think, we've seen already, uh, most probably that will continue. 
that you need to widen the geography as well as go beyond the traditional alliance framework in Asia to be able to produce a stable security architecture. And I think that was a contribution that the probably he had very little to do with the concept. It was McMaster and the establishment that produced it. But I think that will remain. My sense is, uh, so far what we've heard from the Biden administration, uh, it is going to find new ways to deal with its forward military presence, uh, the structure of its uh, security engagement in the region, and whether there will be more burden sharing in the region. Uh, those, I think, are going to be positive legacies that the region will find ways to build on. Dr. Pandav, can I ask you to respond to that? Do you consider the uh, the framing of the whole Indo open Indo-Pacific concept and some of the fallout of that, sort of the, the encouragement of the Quad and all, do you see that as uh, something positive for, uh, for the Asian region? Well, look, as as I think, you know, Dr. Mahabhavani very correctly pointed out that uh, Donald Trump, uh, I mean, as much as his administration talked about the Indo-Pacific and coined a new strategic framing for the region, I mean, he didn't show up to the East Asia summits. Uh, he, he simply wasn't interested in the future of the Asian regional order, right? So we can credit that uh, to functionaries at much lower levels in the government who took an interest in these issues and recognized that these four years would be a critical period. I mean, we can just also look at the advances that China has made uh, in general and the, and the overall shift in how countries in Asia and even in Europe have, have uh, changed their perspectives on, on Xi Jinping's China, uh, and we can credit that, but also assisting the administration's efforts. Uh, but in terms of uh, looking at Donald Trump himself and, and the record of the past four years, um, I think ultimately being absent at the wheel when it comes to economic statecraft is going to be viewed as a huge missed opportunity by historians in the future. Um, if there is a common demand among nearly every country in the Indo-Pacific today, it is for greater regional economic integration, freer trade, all with the interest of just building more prosperity. I mean, we can look around the region and we see uh, developed and developing nations alike interested in this. And the United States is simply absent at the wheel. It's not just TPP. It's the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. It's uh, really the wrecking ball performance that the United States has carried out at the World Trade Organization. Um, this is the very multilateral economic system that the United States built at the end of the Second World War. And under the Trump administration, I think we've seen a wholesale dismantlement. So sure, we can talk about the Quad, we can talk about the Indo-Pacific strategy, but I think ultimately the United States has missed the boat on, on a critical four years uh, in the transformation of economic statecraft in this part of the world. Professor Mabubani, uh, last, last word from you. Uh, what would be your last word? I, I, want, I want to praise Donald Trump for one thing. <laughs> to the surprise of everybody. Uh, I think the one right thing, I, I agree that his North Korea policy in, at the end of the day failed, but the one good thing he did was to meet Kim Jong-un face to face. And, you know, diplomacy was invented 2,000 years ago, not to enable you to talk to your friends. You don't need diplomatic immunity from your friends. Diplomacy is all about talking to your enemies. And by talking face to face, basically the most important thing that Donald Trump has done is that he's now said it's OK to talk to our enemies. And that opens the door for Biden to talk to uh, Kim Jong-un too. And the only mistake that Trump made was that he didn't control his officials, didn't tell them, give them good instructions on how to negotiate with North Korea. So John Bolton and Mike Pompeo wanted uh, North Korea to give up everything <laughs> before North Korea got anything. That would never work. But a step-by-step -step approach by the two sides, I think, can lead to uh, an improvement in the North Korean situation. And I would say that in that sense, Trump has broken the ice there. 
Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much indeed for your time today on Asian Insider. Much appreciated. So despite some nice and fairly assertive language by the United States on Asia, on China and so forth, the legacy of the Donald Trump years is not a very happy one. It's left a bit of a bad taste in Asia and definitely in Southeast Asia. Joe Biden, incoming president, will have a lot of work to do in terms of repairing relationships and reasserting American engagement in a critical part of the world. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Kosh. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.